0: Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name's James and I'm joined by my colleague today, Joe Nicholson, here to talk you through Sunderland's 2-0 loss to Plymouth Argyle at Home Park in the Championship on Saturday. Joe, you were down in Plymouth, very disappointing. lots of good attacking players and patterns, but the same problem seems to dog Sunderland, especially away from home, is that they can't put the ball on the back of the net. What did you make of it? Hmm.
1: Yeah, frustrating afternoon, wasn't it, for Sunderland going up uh, and the fans that went all that way down to to Plymouth for a, a disappointing result. In terms of the game, I actually thought Sunderland started quite brightly um, in the first kind of 15, 20 minutes. Um, got into some good areas. I thought Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts were getting the, some balls into in some good areas in the wide positions. But um, that opening goal the, around the 24-minute mark, wasn't it, from from Morgan Whitaker was an, an excellent strike. Um Really gave Sunderland an uphill task and then conceding the second one right before half-time gave them a lot to do. Uh, The damage was really done in that first 45 minutes. Mowbray made two attacking substitutions at half-time by bringing on Eliza, Meyenda and Adelo and I thought Sunderland did look more of a threat in that second half. Obviously, they were chasing the game at 2-0 down. Didn't have as much to lose. Um, It could have gone the other way. Plymouth had chances maybe on the break and could have made the scoreline even more convincing, but Sunderland were creating the better chances. They hit the post a couple of times. There was that header from from Trihulme that hit the post. Oshish had a good chance. I thought he looked bright when he came on, but he had a good chance on a rebound. And if one of those goes in, it makes the game quite interesting. Sunderland had a chance to, to get back in it, but they just couldn't find that goal. And as you say, that kind of maybe lack of cutting edge costing them away from home. Um, another game without a striker scoring, and that's now An extended run, I think we worked out, was about 22 competitive games now that Sunderland have gone without a recognised striker scoring. Um, Obviously, they have found other ways to score from other areas of the pitch, most notably through Jack Clark, but it is an issue that a lot of people are talking about. I'm sure we'll probably touch on more in the rest of the podcast.
0: Yeah, so I'll just run through some numbers here when it comes to Sunderland playing away from home. So last Saturday against Plymouth Argyle, 24 shots from Sunderland five on target. When they played Swansea, Swansea went out to 10 men. Sunderland had 25 shots, three on target. Uh, there was then the 1-0 loss to Leicester City. Sunderland had 13 shots, only the three on target, Um, but Leicester only had eight. All of these games, they are having more attempts on goal than their opponents. Then you go back to Stoke City, 18 shots from Sunderland, seven on target. They lose that game 2-1. They had more shots again Um than their opponent now those stats joe you can you can look at them and say you know perhaps sunderland have have been unlucky but is it to your eye is it a case of sunderland not finishing those chances off or are those chances not quality are some of those shots shot to nothings you know is there a problem with sunderland's attack and how it's functioning just thinking in terms of yes Jack Clark's output has been has been very impressive this season. Again, Patrick Roberts, although he, you know, it's good news he signed his new contract, he hasn't started to fire yet. Um, and unfortunately, one of the the four strikers that have been brought into the club, it hasn't worked for, for any of them just quite yet, although there has been some near misses, you know, just spitballing here. But I can think of two or three, four or five occasions maybe where Sunderland have hit the bar in the post recently. Um, there's been little bobbles for for Roosin, So I mean. What are we really sort of putting this down to, or is it is it just is it too hard to say? Is it a lack of cutting edge, or is it that Sunderland just aren't very good in attack? It's it's I think it's a real spot to dissect because you have you can have a you know you can have an unlucky game, can't you? Where you have a lot of shots and you just you just can't score. But Sunderland, are, you know, away from home, having these problems quite often, and it's resulting in in losses, which which is a shame. So it's that juxtaposition, isn't it? Sunderland perhaps have been unlucky, but this is now a a theme and a trend.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing that I was looking at is the expected goals table in the Championship. So Sunderland Mm -hmm. are actually third for expected goals behind only Ipswich and Leicester, the top two. Now, to put that in perspective, there is a little bit of perspective needs to come with that because some of the games you mentioned, the Swansea game, for example, Swansea were down to 10 men for most of the game. So you would expect Sunderland to be creating better chances. The Plymouth one on Saturday, for example, they were two goals down. So they were chasing the game in the second half so you would expect them to to be attacking to to get back into the game but but clearly Sunderland haven't been taking the chance i think they they are getting some balls into some good areas particularly through Clark and Roberts out wide and a couple of kind of managers and players from opposition teams have mentioned that Sunderland's main threat really is through Clark and Roberts on the wings Sunderland do get the ball out wide those two are very good at beating people dribbling past players And now we're seeing a lot of teams are doubling up on them. Then the space will open up in other areas, and Sunderland haven't really been able to to maximise those positions. Now the strikers, there's four of them, isn't there? With with Bursto, Rusin, um, Hemia and Mienda. Now all young, all have come in, um, and it's not just them that are missing chances. You have to say I think there's other players in the team that are. Missing these these chances and other players have to chip in with goals. Jack Clark, we mentioned, I think it was maybe on last week's podcast or the podcast before has chipped in with around 30 percent of Sunderland's goals, over 30 percent. And he was if you look at all the top teams in the championship, um, he scored the most of the team's top scorer for for that team. So a lot of Sunderland's goals have come through him. A few of them have come through penalties, but we said before he's won the penalty. So, so clearly, other players do need to to step up in those goal scoring areas. The strikers obviously need to start putting the ball in the back of the net, but also players in the final third as well need to contribute as well. So, um, it's it's frustrating at the minute because Sunderland are creating the chances, but yeah, they're just not not taking them at the minute.
0: Yeah, there's a, I read somewhere as well that Jack Clark created eight chances for teammates, which was the most of any player from any club in game week 17 in the championship. I want to talk a little bit about team selection, Joe. Um, Tony Mulberry decided to restore Dan Ballard and Luke Nine, his first choice central defenders, to the side. Obviously, that was changing a winning side Um Against Birmingham City, where Sealton and Triantus came in through suspension and injury in the end to, to Dennis Surgen. I did see a, a few complaints about the decision to bring Lugo Nine back in, not so much Ballard. I always thought he would do that, Joe, because he's made clear that there is his is first choice central defensive partnership. And I, I think, you know, obviously results always cloud the narrative, of course, but. Had Tony Mowbray started with Silton and to again, not changed that when inside and Sunderland lost. I think he would have got criticised for not bringing at least Ballard back in all nine in any way. So I thought he was sort of damned if he, you know, damned if he do, damned if he don't in that situation. Personally, I think bringing bringing the two experienced centre backs back in for this game was probably the right call. It just hasn't hasn't worked out.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that was always going to be the case if both of them were fit. Obviously, there was a bit of a question mark about Ballard's injury, picked up a, a bit of a hamstring issue, didn't while he was away with, with Northern Ireland, but that obviously was fine. And I think those two were always going to be restored to the starting eleven. And I think those two have, have formed a decent partnership this season. I think when Seal and Triantis came in for that Birmingham game, I think it was a big ask for both of them coming in. Um, I think ideally Mowbray would have put one in alongside a, an O9 or a Ballard, more of a, an experienced player. Who are also very good leaders on the pitch as well, very good talkers to to their teammates. I think particularly 09, I think has really taken on that captain's role this season with with Corey Evans out still injured, and think he's really good influence around the dressing room um, with some of the younger players. Now you could you could argue he should have done a lot better for for the second goal. Should he went when Finnis cut inside of him. Um, but I think Seal and Trantis are still very young, still very inexperienced at this level. And it would have been a big call to, to leave out either 09 or Ballard. And I think they were always going to come back into the side because because of that experience, because of what they've done in the past. And I thought with Seal and Trantis at Birmingham game, although Sunderland won the game, I thought the early signs, they did look a bit shaky, understandably so, because they'd come in for the making their championship first championship starts. And you've got two 20 year old centre backs that have playing in front of forty thousand people probably the biggest crowd that they've played in front of and they grew into the game and and they contributed to that win but i still think 09 and ballard are are a level above them and when they're available Mowbray is going to pick those two as his, his first choice center backs
0: yeah so i mean a lot of the noise surrounding this loss on social media john sure you saw it as well was people beginning to question Tony Mowbray, which you know is completely fine natural managers head coaches at football clubs tend to get questioned for their decisions for the substitutions for form after wins after losses that's you know that's fine but I did see it sort of veer into questioning questioning his position as well from from some outlets and and some people I personally think that's a bit strong at this stage obviously Sunderland's form has been a little bit patchy they've improved at home but we've seen away from home it's 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 not been as good as it was last season. Um, I have seen enough in the performances. For me, I don't think there's any sort of panic stations yet. Sunderland are in ninth after that result. Um, Only two points off the playoffs. I think they're still better off than they were this time last season, or maybe level now. I can't remember exactly. Um, Still early days. Still haven't hit that busy Christmas period yet. I mean, We won the last two on the bounce before the international break. Yes, there's been some extremely frustrating moments this season, but for me, I think fair enough if Sunderland go on and lose the next two or three. I think as a as a football manager, you're only ever two, three, four bad results on the trot away from being seriously questioned. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, Joe? Because that talk comes comes surrounded by the backdrop of of Sunderland and Sunderland fans, rightly so wanting the club to to push on, push for the playoffs, you know, push for automatics as well. I think at some point, yes, the league's stronger. But for me, I I did find that slightly jarring. Actually, that that people were were questioning Mowbray to the degree of 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 some actually calling for his, for his head as well. I I thought that was very very premature. As I say, if if in you know three or four or five games time things aren't right, then then absolutely fair enough. And I do understand as well that it was an extremely frustrating result. You know, people have paid a lot of money to go down to Plymouth. It's a, it's a long way as well. The the away form hasn't been great, but. Where do you stand on that and what are your opinions?
1: Mm. Um, I think it comes back to kind of perspective. I and mean, I spoke to Luca and I after the game and you look at where Son and as you said, the two points off the playoffs, a couple of results can easily change the narrative. Um, I think it's I think it's way too over the top to be to be questioning Mowbray's kind of position at this stage. Um, and I don't think I don't think many people really realistically are. Um, but yeah, there's still two points off the playoffs and a couple of results can change it very quickly. Obviously, results, there are going to be a reaction to, to bad results. If you remember back to the start of the season, Sunderland lost their first two league games against Ipswich and Preston. Both narrow games could have easily gone very differently and there was a bit of kind of frustration bubbling over then. But then they went on a run of, of winning, I think it was four of their next five games and suddenly the picture looked very different. And a couple of the stats we've mentioned earlier looking at the expected goals, Sunderland a third in expected goals. If they'd have taken a couple of their chances, the league table could look very different. You have got a couple of, you know, really strong teams at the top of the championship this year. As we've mentioned before, I think the championship is going to be a stronger division than last year when Sunderland ended up in the playoffs with around, it was at 69 points, which was which was very low to get into the, to the playoffs, or as well as they did to get into that position. But you've got Ipswich and Leicester setting a blistering pace. You've got Leeds in there. You've got Southampton in there. A lot of very strong teams fighting for those playoff spots, and there'll be a lot of teams that are have realistic expectations to try and get into the playoffs, and Sunderland are one of those teams, and the narrative, as we've said, can change very quickly, starting with that Plymouth game last weekend. It was the first game, of, first of 10 games in 39 days for Sunderland, so the yeah, league Brazil, table very, very <laughs> yeah by the time we get to January the first, the league table could look very different and we'll have you know there a lot of points up for grabs mm. and as I said so the performances have not been been terrible um, if you look at the performance p- between both boxes as we mentioned earlier, Sunderland are kind of outperforming their their opponents in terms of expected goals in the middle of the pitch things are pretty good but it's just in both boxes. They've not been kind of able to add that final thing to, to score that goal or to keep a goal out. It was an excellent strike from from Whitaker to open the scoring for Plymouth on on Saturday. How many times is an opponent going to do that? Although Sunderland probably should have been aware that he likes to cut inside onto his left foot and shoot. But how many times is a goal like that going to go in? And that completely changed kind of the, the kind of narrative of the game and the direction that the game was going in. So I think it's still too early to to kind of panic or anything like that. Um, I'm not sure how many points Sunderland had after 17 games last season, but I don't think people were kind of eyeing up a playoff spot. But obviously what they did last season has raised expectations. But as we said before, there's a lot of teams trying to get into that top six and we'll expect to be getting into the top six. So, And Sunderland are one of them. So big few kind of few weeks coming up with a lot of games, starting with the uh, the home game, it's Huddersfield on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I think... Um... I think from memory, I think we're three points ahead of where we were last season, but I, mm-hmm. I need to, to double-check that. But yeah, we're there or, or thereabouts. Um, it's interesting we're, we're having a sort of... We're talking about something in terms of XG um, expected goals, and I know some of my friends and some people will be listening to this podcast probably tearing their hair out, sort of saying that, you know, what does XG matter? You, you've got to perform on the pitch and, and whatnot. But there's a reason XG has been so widely adopted, by football as an industry, all of the football clubs use it as a barometer, as a measuring stick. It's not a, it's not a perfect system and a perfect metric. Every metric has its flaws, but what it does give it is a good indication of your performance in terms of what you should have achieved in that football game, given the given the chances. Phil Smith, our our colleague who's who's off today, so sadly can't join us with um, this podcast. But he put a tweet out, and, and against Plymouth, we had more XG. Um, sort of between the boxes, as you mentioned, we out- should have outscored them um, and should have conceded less than we did. It was the same story at Swansea. Um, Leicester did outscore us on the XG, so that result was probably about right, and then Stoke should have been 2-0, according with the XG to Sunderland. Um, so that is an indication, really, that Sunderland are on the right track, but it is frustrating um, for fans. Do you think, Joe, that maybe Tony Mulberry has to... Has to mix it up a little bit now. I'm not really thinking in terms of of the striking situation because I think Rusin's probably going to need, uh, you know, a good a good run of games. I think he's only, I think the next game would be his fourth start in a row. Is that right? Or his third start? He
1: started four in a row. So yeah, is it four in a row,
0: right? Yeah. Okay, so he's still very early on in his southern career. However, that midfield maybe needs a little a little bit of freshening up. the The issue with that is there isn't a great deal in terms of central midfielders, Neil and Equa But Maybe Bellingham could come out and of and Shush could come in. There's Bradley Dagg, Alex Pritchard. Um, and I guess that highlights, Joe, that in terms of, you know, a pure centre midfielders like a, a number eight, like Dan Neal or a PR Equal, there isn't a great deal behind that. But Sunderland do have some personnel to to sort of tinker with things. I would expect Morbray to perhaps do something like that soon in the next mm. couple of games.
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple of changes I think he could make. Um, as you mentioned there in centre midfield as we've mentioned before, Sunderland are quite light in that area with Neil and Equa kind of being the first choice. But if one of them is unavailable or one of them can't play, there is, I still feel, a lack of depth there. He could do, if he was very bold, do what he did in the second half against Plymouth on, on Saturday, which was play with kind of Dan Neal as a number six and then in, ended up with kind of new two number 10s with with Oshish playing as, as one of them and Bellingham was as, as like another number 10. Obviously, at that stage, they were two nil down. So, didn't have as much to lose. Would he do that from the start? Even if it's a home game against a, a Huddersfield side near the bottom of the table, um, it would still be, I think, a bold move. And there are a few options that could come into that kind of number 10 position. Sheesh is the one that I think has looked bright in recent weeks and is kind of pushing for that start. Dak has come off the bench in that position as well. Pritchard was an unused sub. So in that kind of more advanced number 10 position, Mowbray does have a, a few more options. Clark and Roberts are obviously the first choice um, players kind of out wide, and there's still big threats for Sunderland. Clark obviously is the probably he's the first name on the team sheet at the minute, isn't he? And then it's kind of that striker position. Who does he go with? Um, Rootin, I thought looked bright the Birmingham game uh, before the international break, but I thought on Saturday he did struggle at, at Plymouth, and he was substituted at halftime. Um, was just on the fringe of the game and, and wasn't really kind of linking up with his with his teammates. As we said before, Clark and Roberts were getting some balls in some, some good areas of the pitch out wide, but but didn't really have anyone to hit in the in the middle. Um, there was a moment where Bellingham did hit the post with a low shot um, and he was kind of breaking forward into the box. But there was kind of a lack of movement up front, particularly in that first half. So does he stick with Rusin, who, as you said there, has now started some of his last four games? Or does he bring in a, a myender who has, I think, in his last two appearances off the bench, he has looked exciting, he looks like a player that, can create chances for himself as well. I think, think back to that Birmingham game when he came off the bench and got the ball on the edge of the box, turned and, and forced a good save from John Ruddy, the Birmingham goalkeeper. So he looks like a player that's very exciting, but is still very raw. We're just 18 years old and that's a, a big responsibility to put him at the top end of the pitch for the next few games and say, you're going to be our guy to, to score the goals, basically. So there are a few options there. We think Burstow could be back as well missed the Plymouth game with a knock. So he's another option. Hamir was on the bench as well. So there are options there for Mowbray up front, but obviously there are pros and cons to all of them. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what he does against Huddersfield. I'd like to see Mayender in from the start because I think he has made an impact off the bench when when he's come on the last two games.
0: Yeah, I like Mayender. I really do. And I would like to see him start at some point. But I don't know. It's just... For me, it's it's how long can you can you keep chopping and changing with the strikers? I know we mm. had you know Burstow start a flurry of games at the start of the season, and he's dropped out. Rusen's coming a bit later on, and now we're talking with the the idea of Mayender. I guess it underlines the point that Tony Mowbray doesn't really have a, a championship ready striker, and he's going to have to do some work to to get one of them up to speed. Hopefully, it clicks. It's it's come so close to clicking annoyingly for for a couple of these players. You mentioned Mayender had that chance the Birmingham game. Rusen's hit the hit the post. It's it's been close a couple of times, but yes, frustrating. Sunderland's next two games, as you mentioned, Joe, Huddersfield and Millwall, uh, two teams that are sort of a little further down the championship than Sunderland. Millwall are 18th with 20 points. Uh, Huddersfield at 21st with 16 points. On paper, two winnable games, but they're also now two pretty big games, I think, now, Joe.
1: Mm. Yeah, the Huddersfield game, particularly, I think it's a game that, that people will expect Sunderland to win with Huddersfield. They've got quite a few injuries as well. I just felt just reading this morning um, about nine players out injured or, or doubts. So a depleted side near the bottom of the table. Um, Sunderland obviously playing at home where they've actually, it's interesting this season, the that Sunderland's mm-hmm. best results have come at home, whereas last season they seem to be away from mm-hmm. home. It seems to have flipped a bit more um, the last few games at the Stadium of Light. They have kind of convincingly beat teams like, like Birmingham, um, Norwich. Before that, there was the Middlesbrough game, but obviously that was... Uh, the Dan Neal red cards, um, so that kind of changed things. Before that, they, they beat Watford comfortably at home. Um So the home performance has been good this season. Obviously, on the road, they have had some struggles, which is, was one of their strengths last season. But it, I think Sunderland will have more of the ball again, as they, they tend to often do, particularly at the Stadium of Light. Um Not sure how S- S- Huddersfield will set up, but I think they'll... They'll try and be difficult to break down, won't they, and, and try and hit Sunderland on a counter-attack. That's certainly what they did last season, which was a one-all draw, I seem to recall, in in April. And that was actually the last game where a recognised striker scored for Sunderland when, when Geldhart opened the scoring. Um, yes. So, yeah, in the Championship, it's a cliche, isn't it? There's no easy games, but if you're looking at games that Sunderland should be winning, you'd be identifying a game against Huddersfield at home. If Sunderland want to get in the playoffs, they're the sort of games that you've got to be looking to take three points from. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Mowbray does. Will he go with the, the two centre-mids, as we said, with, like, Neil and Equa, or will he play with two number eights? Who's he going to play at front? So there are a couple of kind of selection dilemmas there ahead of the Sunderland game, but um, I'm sure they'll, they'll be on the front foot, but we'll have to be wary of that probably counter-attacking threat that Huddersfield will pose.
0: Yes, Huddersfield haven't won in five, although they did get an equaliser against Southampton at the weekend, so that... <laughs> That's uh, that's always interesting when Sunderland come into these types of fixtures. George, just very quickly, will there be a, a preview Huddersfield Town show or not?
1: Uh, probably show? not for Huddersfield, but then going into yeah. the weekend, we'll we'll try and get one for Millwall on Saturday.
0: Well, happy days. We're, we've sort of previewed it a bit there, so that's good. Yeah, thank you once again uh, for listening. To the Raw podcast, you'll soon be able to find us on Shots TV on Freeview, so keep an eye out for that. We're over on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, all of the podcast places, Google, all of that good stuff. And you can head over to the Sunderland Echo website for all of the build-up to Sunderland's next couple of games against Huddersfield Town and Millwall. This has been the Raw podcast, and thank you for listening.